This is Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. Here's another provocative conversation. Does free will exist? Well, it's something philosophers have grappled with for centuries now. It certainly seems like free will exists. All right, I'm choosing topics to talk about today. A couple of people waiting on the line. They're choosing to wait there. They've chosen to call in. It all seems like we're, we're choosing that. But how do we know, right? And I mean, consciousness itself seems like somewhat of an enigma. So how do we determine whether free will exists? And if it doesn't, well, how do we explain then the decisions we make? What does it mean for our society, which is premised on the notion that people are responsible for the decisions they make? And we just had a conversation uh, about the use of lethal force by police officers. If you are choosing to point a gun at a police officer or charge at a police officer with a knife, you need to be held accountable for your actions. And if you get arrested, we're going to lock you in jail because you made that choice to do what you did. So this is pretty fundamental stuff. A study that came out earlier this year that suggests maybe free will is an illusion, that it seems like we have free will, uh, but maybe it's a necessary illusion that our brain has created for itself. All right, well, I want to get some further explanation as to how we would know this. Uh, joining us on the line is Adam Bears, PhD candidate in psychology at Yale University. The research focuses on the relationship between conscious and unconscious processes in the mind and was the co-author of this study that's uh, still getting a lot of attention. Adam, thanks so much for joining us here. Welcome to the program. Hi, thanks for having me. All right, what, what do we take free will to mean, or what do you take it to mean, first of all? Yeah, I think that's a really good question, and I think um, a lot of this sort of discussion about free will kind of conflates a lot of different definitions together. Um, so like you sort of alluded to, one sense of free will is sort of whether we can be you know, morally responsible for our actions and things like that. Um, what I've been interested in is a kind of more proximate sense of free will, our, our experience in the moment of choosing. Um, so we all, you know, we all have a kind of conscious experience when we're going about our day-to-day lives, when we go to the grocery store, you know, we decide between one cereal or another, or, you know, in the morning we pick out our clothes. Um, and not only are we making choices here, we, we really feel like we're um, kind of engaging uh, with the world in a conscious sort of way. Like our conscious deliberation um, is causing us uh, to perform certain actions. Um, so, so, yeah, there are these two lines of work. One sort of exploring the conscious uh, aspect of choice, which I'm interested in and which clearly bears on the question of free will. Um, and then you might also ask sort of more general questions about how that bears on things like moral responsibility, um, like you were saying. Right, because, you know, I often think about that if I'm just staring at the window and watching the birds, and I think, why did that bird choose to land on that telephone wire and then choose to fly away? I don't think the bird had a thought process that thought, maybe I'll land on that wire, and maybe I'm done sitting on the wire, maybe I'll go somewhere else. They're making choices, but they're obviously just... They're just acting. They're, they're not thinking. Am I right? Right. Right, exactly. And, and you can think, you know, a lot of our behavior in everyday life is maybe like this, too. You know, sometimes we just, you know, we'll just be, um, you know, we'll be sitting watching TV and we just kind of have an urge to get up and walk to the fridge or something. And we don't, we don't necessarily feel like in all those moments 
that we're really consciously deliberating, you know, guiding our behavior in a really deliberative uh, way, you know, it does seem like, um, you know, unconscious kind of thinking guides a lot of our behavior. But we still hold on to this feeling like um, consciousness does play a central role in a lot of our decision-making. Um, a lot of the times um, as we're going about the world, it feels like we're planning and thinking ahead um, in, in, in this sort of conscious, deliberative way. Um, and that's what my work was seeking to maybe uh, call into question. All right. Well, we'll talk about the the paper then that you published earlier this year and what then you, you were having subjects do and, and what, what you took from that. Yeah, so it's a very simple um, experiment. Well, we had a couple of experiments, but I'll just focus on one of them, um, examining this, again, this sort of proximate experience of choice. Um, our subjects would just sit in front of a computer monitor and these white circles would appear on a screen. And their task was very simply to just pick one of those circles in their head, so sort of make a conscious choice however they like when these white circles appeared. And then after some time delay, one of the circles would turn red, and they had to indicate whether that was the circle they had chosen in their head or whether they had chosen a different circle. Um, and if the circle turned red too quickly for them to feel like they really made a choice, they could also say, um, I didn't feel like I made a choice at all. Um, and the question is whether, so when they're doing this, people have this sort of conscious impression, um, you know, that assuming they were able to make a choice before the circle turned red, um, that, again, that there was some kind of conscious, deliberative uh, decision they made to pick one of those circles in their head before that thing went up. Um, but our theory was that, um, given some other research from psychology, it could really be that the choice that was experienced as consciously made at a certain moment was actually sort of unconsciously determined um, earlier in time. And actually, in a kind of interesting um, way, we could show this by showing that people's decisions, even when they were experienced uh, before one of those circles turned red, so even when people thought, you know, I, I, just, I decided between these five white circles before any of them turned red, that unconsciously, um, their sort of unconscious mind had caught wind of one of those circles turning red and had biased their conscious decision. So again, there's a sort of dissociation between people feeling like um, they're consciously making this choice um, in a totally unbiased way um, and what they actually seem to be doing in our experiment where we can show that they're biased um, by the circle turning red, even though it seems like they're not at all. So what it sounds like then, it sounds like a decision is being made at a subconscious level, and then what happens after that is we experience what feels like the conscious choice. Right, and what was sort of novel about this paradigm we designed is not only that, you know, there's a lot of work suggesting um, from social psychology and elsewhere suggesting that our choices are guided by unconscious sort of things um, in more ways than we, we think. Um, but what was even more surprising sort of is that it seems like our conscious experience in this case was kind of rewriting history. So what really was happening is that unconsciously, people were often getting wind of the fact that one of these circles was turning red, um, and then that was biasing their choice. So, uh-oh. <laughs> well, why don't we take a break then? We'll, uh, we'll, we'll get the guest back on the line. I had a few more questions I wanted to ask of, of Adam. I don't know if he uh, 
consciously or subconsciously chose to hang up, but obviously the line got cut off there. We'll come back, continue the conversation here with Adam Baer from Yale University, uh, talking about this study they published uh, earlier this year, uh, exploring aspects of free will. We're back with more right after this. All right, we're back here afternoons on News Talk 770. I think we've uh, reconnected with our guests. Uh, a few more minutes here with Adam Baer, PhD candidate in psychology at Yale University, talking about free will and how our brain makes decisions. So, Adam, if, if decisions are being made at a, at a subconscious level, what, what's guiding those decisions? Yeah, I mean, it's a very good question. It's just, um, I, I think the answer is there are just a lot of different um, unconscious motivational factors that guide our decisions. And, um, you know, this seems kind of spooky, right, that we're, we're not in conscious control of sort of a lot of our everyday choices. But um, those, those unconscious processes are really just kind of heuristics we've learned or we've, you know, evolved to have in our brains that really efficiently um, implement things that we consciously want. Um, so, so, so maybe we don't need to devote a lot of conscious resources to, say, picking out cereal or picking out clothing because, you know, our, our, our brain has already kind of unconsciously learned what we like. And it can use simple unconscious strategies to lead us to the optimal choices without um, sort of forcing us to rely on more costly um, cognitive processing that's involved in conscious deliberation. So, so it's not that necessarily these unconscious things are are really going counter to our values. It's just that um, they're more kind of efficient ways to implement what we consciously want for the most part. Right. And would this be much different? Because I think there are a lot of things we do that maybe it would seem more obvious where you you yawn or you scratch an itch uh, and, and you don't even realize you're doing it. But a decision has been made somewhere <laughs> in your brain right. that, exactly. that that should be done, that your body needs to do that. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's very analogous to that. But what's sort of remarkable is that, um, yeah, it's not just these very simple kind of decisions to relieve an itch or, or you know, yeah, do something very bodily, but also um, our unconscious mind is remarkably capable of, you know, making much more uh, complex kinds of decisions. Um, even a lot of recent research has suggested, you know, a lot of our moral behavior is guided by, you know, unconscious kind of emotional processing. Um, so it seems like even sort of our, our deepest, uh, most most true sense, to our, sense of our identity uh, is driven by these kind of unconscious processes. All right. What does it mean for the bigger stuff, like uh, our life choices, uh, the kind of person we are, the, the things we do? What, do? Does it inform our understanding of, of our decision-making process? I mean, yeah, I think it, it does. Um, I think it requires a kind of reconceptualization of, yeah, who we are as individuals, who we are as sort of free agents, so to speak. Um, I think we 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 all kind of come with this naive naive view of the world that you know we're we're really consciously deliberating a lot of the time. There's this conscious there's a thing called the conscious self um, that is guiding behavior. Um, yeah, again, most of the time, especially for very important decisions. But it may be more like. Um, you know, our, our minds are, for the most part, constructed out of these different sort of unconscious selves that have different motives and desires and drives and so on. Um, and those things sort of working in concert are um, what makes us ourselves. So in a sense, we have to kind of conceptualize ourselves as a kind of um, convenient illusion. But really, 
were composed of these these sort of uh, much smaller kind of unconscious uh, parts of our brain, um, and all those things are working in tandem to explain our behavior um, in any given moment. For right. The most part. Well, I mean, you call it a convenient illusion. Maybe it's a necessary illusion. Yeah. So um, yeah, some people have argued that right that maybe this is necessary, like you were alluding to before, for things like you know punishment and. For, yeah, for us to sort of understand our social world and our relationships and things like that. Um, and just just from a sort of practical perspective, it would also be very hard, yeah, hard to sort of think about different individuals if we, ha- if we didn't have, you know, this model of other people in ourselves as these kind of monolithic um, entities. Um, it, yeah, it's a sort of a necessary um, way of understanding our social world um, and understanding our own behavior. Yeah, that's a fascinating topic. Adam, we'll leave it there. Thanks so much for making some time for us here today. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. All right, take care. That's Adam Baer from uh, Yale University, co-author of the study that uh, was published earlier this year, focuses his research on that relationship between the conscious and the unconscious processes in the mind, and which is guiding which. It's an interesting question. We're going to take a quick break here, uh, back with some more time for your calls, your texts, right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.